0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. Well, it is good to be here with you this weekend. And I do want to say that Beck and I had an amazing uh, time celebrating our 35th anniversary, and, uh, yeah. yeah, it's, now it's actually in August, all right, but John Bevere is preaching that weekend, and it's on the weekend, and so Becca's like, we're, you're not, we're not hanging out with John Bevere on our anniversary, are we? And I'm like, uh, no, we're gonna go early, so we went early, and, uh, yeah, but anyways, love, uh, love, loved, loved being away and doing that, and uh, grateful for having Dick Brogdon here. And uh, Dick Brogdon, as you know, spoke at our Kingdom Builders Banquet, did that message, um, although he enhanced it a lot, and it was so good uh, this last weekend. I just said, the whole church has to hear the message on apostolic nasty, and if you've not heard it, if you missed it, I want you to go online, watch it, be sure to be um, up to speed. I feel like it's a defining message for our church. I don't want anyone to miss that. And um, I loved, I just thought it was so powerful when he ended with uh, it's apostolic nasty to pray, to give, to go, and had the people with the shirts. And If you're unfamiliar, um, my mom loved the message so much, she had a sweatshirt made that says apostolic nasty. So that's, yeah, yeah, that's my mom. And praise God it's not a tattoo. Anyways, all right, yeah. <laughs> I do want to share a quick update because I asked you to pray about it, and this is exciting. Uh, you know, he talked about Chaska, that I'm not backing down. I'm preaching the messages, and I feel like we lost a venue because of the culture clash sermons that we've been doing. And uh, I just want to let you know that God answered our prayer, and we have a venue. It is the Outpost in Chaska. I think we got a picture of it. Yeah, there it is. And, uh, yeah, so it's like a wedding event venue right off of 212, and... September 17th, I believe that is the first official launch weekend. And then the pre launch weekend for the people that are part of the team, September 10th, starting with two services there. And uh, I pray that we all grow up. There is a church currently in there right now, and uh, they are moving venues. And as they move, we're just jumping right in, all right? And so I just, you gotta let you know that the prayer has been answered and it was very quick. And so we're very grateful for that. Now I wanna let you know as well, for the next six weeks, we are going to be looking at 1 Peter. Uh, Many times in our church during the summer, we look at a book of the Bible. And this summer is no different. We're gonna look at 1 Peter. So for six weeks, we're gonna look at 1 Peter. Uh, We're gonna kinda go chapter by chapter, but there are only five chapters, so we'll double up once. And then, John Bevere, like I said, and then coming after that, we'll be doing this series to end the summer uh, Too Far From the Farm, and I'm looking forward to that. If you don't know, it's going to be a good series, but let me jump into 1 Peter and give you an overview, and by the way, this is a little more of a teaching on on the book, and I love that we can do discipleship and do this in the summer. Uh, A lot of people uh, are, are, it's just something that we've done for years and years to say, let's dig a little deeper straight into a book. So, the overview of 1 Peter, I believe uh, Peter wrote uh, the book of First and Second Peter. Now some people say, well, it's na- his name is right there. Of course he did. Scholars have looked at it and said, I don't know if this guy really wrote this. And you wonder why they would say that because the Greek is so good. And they're like, how did a guy that was a fisherman write something so amazing? Like people said, this book is so amazing. How did somebody that was so just you know not educated, write something so amazing. But he actually says it in the book. He talks about the Sylvanas actually helped him. And I believe that Sylvanas uh, helped him write it. And um, he was probably a very educated person. And so Peter, with the help of Sylvanus, wrote this. And he just said, like, you know, he was speaking, and Sylvanus just made it better. And I'm grateful. Like, sometimes they give my personal assistant, like, an email or a letter. I'm like, here, that I kind of want to say this, make it look better. How many know what I'm talking about? Like, make it better. And so uh, you're like, yeah, so that's what I do. And I have a ghostwriter when I write my books. And like, they help me just say it better and do that. So I believe that Peter wrote it. It was written around AD 62 to 66. And that's going to be important. Okay, you know, you say, why would that be important? We'll get there in just a minute. It's written to the churches located in Asia Minor, which is currently... Turkey, and if you've not done a global team, I couldn't uh, suggest or recommend Turkey strong enough. Uh, It just seems to be a place where God is doing something spectacular, and so many people in our church are going there. But I want to read what it says in 1 Peter chapters 1 and 2. It says, uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. So he's writing there and he's saying it's to these churches and it's in what is now modern-day Turkey. And it's a circular letter. And what does that mean? It was a letter that would be written and and a church would get it and then they'd read it and, and see it in their church and then they'd pass it to another group of believers and to another group of believers. And as I think about this, I just want to pause for just a moment. Aren't you grateful that you have the word of God right now? We didn't have to say like, hey guys, we got a letter. It just arrived where it's on loan, you know, we're sending it on to First Assembly in Fargo. You know, like we're not doing that. It, it, we've got our own Bible and we have it digitally. And I thank God that we're able to, to do that. But this is a circular letter. And there's a hostility that is happening there towards Christians. And Peter is writing to them. And he's like, guys, I'm writing to you because there's some um, suffering and some things that are going on. And I want to help you out. And that's one of the themes of the book is they're suffering and I wanna help you. And that's what I'm gonna preach about today, uh, this suffering, but the key elements in this book are joy, suffering, identity in Christ. Um, and we're gonna talk about that in the weeks to come. The hope we have in Christ and um, holiness, how we can live it out. And it's a very pastoral book. Like you can feel Peter is wanting to be pastoral to these people, he's wanted to help them in their current struggle, he's wanted to encourage them. He's wanting to help them live out their faith. And uh, this is going on. So I want to focus on suffering. And in, the, in chapter one, in verses six and seven, um, just to put it in context, Peter's talking about, guys, you have a living hope in Jesus. You have a living hope in Jesus. You have an inheritance in heaven that is waiting for you. It's waiting, it can't be taken away, guys. Come on, you have a living hope. He's a living savior. And there's inheritance waiting for you. And then in verse All right, so he's saying like, guys, all right, there's. I want you to understand there's this trial, there's suffering, there's grief. And um, he's saying, I know what you're going through. I know what you're going through now. I just said just a couple of minutes ago, it makes sense, like remember this date that it was written in AD 62 to 66. That's what experts think. Here's why that's important. Um, Nero is just coming on the scene. And if you know your history, you know that Nero was terrible to the church, absolutely horrible to the church, but Peter's writing this before that's happening, okay? So he's writing, it isn't heavy stuff that's going on. There isn't persecution from the Roman Empire. It isn't coming from the government, the trials, okay? Now that's gonna happen. That's gonna happen, and it's kind of encouraging that Peter's like writing this before it gets really bad, but what is he addressing? Really, what's happening is there's uh, this social ostracism. There's cancel culture. That's what's happening. It's like a cancel culture on them. It's a, we don't like you as a Christian. We're not gonna do business with you. We don't like your faith. We are misquoting what you believe and twisting your words and we're, and we're defaming you and, and we're kicking you out of the cool kids club. And you see what I'm saying? So it's not the major stuff, because you read it and you think like, yeah, yeah, they were going through it, man. They were like, it was terrible. No, it was like normal social pressure where people are pushing back against Christianity. It's a lot like what people are experiencing today. There's a pushback. There's a cancel culture. There's a trial. There's a, a struggle. Do you really believe this? Is that really real? And are you one of those type of Christians? That's what's happening to us today, and that's really where they were at in this opposition there. Again, it wasn't this strong, strong hostility that was sanctioned by the government, and there were things that I'm sure that were happening to them in their neighborhoods that were absolutely horrific, but it wasn't coming from the government, it was coming from the people around them. And when I look at the U.S. church, um, I've seen smooth sailing, and now I see these things happening like this cancel culture and people twisting things that we're saying. And if you doubt that, like, there's a struggle and an a, uh, attack on people of faith, um, I did one thing when we were on vacation that I shouldn't have done. Um, I read the article about our Maple Grove campus building being approved, and uh, which I was, like, really excited. The city council voted yes. And then I went into the Star Tribune comments. And then I didn't realize everyone hates our church. And I was like, where's our church? You should be commenting that we're a good church. I mean, there were like 300 comments. And I told Becca, I said, don't read it, don't read it. It's like 290 people hate us and 10 people kind of like us. Like it's not good. Yeah, and, and there was this day of smooth sailing, but now it's like people are attacking. And, and it, it just, it's, I, I'm looking at Peter's letter here and I'm like, all right, I, I wanna grab this for our church and say, stay strong. Stay strong, stay strong in the trial, stay strong. Uh, I, I want you to believe this and live it and not back down. I mean, I'm sure that the Peter, the people that Peter was writing to, like people would say to him in town, like you don't really believe this. You're really not one of them. like, nah, it's, it's more my wife. It's more, it's not, it's not really me. It's more my wife and my kids. It's not, I'm not, no, don't think I'm serving Jesus. You know, I want us to stay strong and I love, what Dick Brogdon said last week about suffering and, and just, uh, again, I had just forgotten that part about his message even having heard it before about don't feel sorry for the people that are suffering like they're knowing God in a greater way than we do. And the suffering that you face or the trials or the pushback is going to do a lot of things to you and it's going to deepen your faith. And yet, we don't want to suffer and I'm not like signing up. I'm not rushing into suffering, but I'm looking at what suffering does and persecution and trials and attacks. And in those moments, and I just remember key moments as a teenager when people are like, do you really believe this? And I'm like, I really do. I think of times in the neighborhood where people say, are you one of those type of Christians? And you know, how many know in that moment, you're like, you just want to be like, not especially, you know. You know, you look, and you're like, no, I really am. I really believe this. And when you walk away from there, it does something to you. There's a strength that's there. I'm thinking about the teenager that's in school, and and they and you're going to do the Bible club, and then people are like, you're not going to Bible club early, are you? And you're like, no, I really am. There's something about the way you walk through school differently because you stood up. And it wasn't that anybody was going to stone you for your faith, but in the trial and the struggle that was very real in your moment, you stood up and something good happened. But we don't like persecution. We try everything we can to get away from suffering persecution. And whenever it happens, we, we're like, "What did I do something wrong? Am I a failure? Am I a failure? Did I do something wrong? Does God not like me? Um, and and, and, and I, we just feel like we're the worst, like, God doesn't like us. And Peter's trying to let him like, Guys, guys, when you're serving Jesus, you serve a different king and the world doesn't like it and they're gonna attack you and there's gonna be trials and there's gonna be things that are coming against you and, and you're gonna hold on, you're gonna make it and you're gonna have a, a faith that's stronger. And he tells them there's benefits to this. And so I'm um, gonna look at that in just a minute, but can I just take a short diversion uh, away from suffering um, for your faith and what you believe in, and just talk about suffering in general, okay? Because in our suffering, if we don't get this right as Christians, you know, I've seen people walk away from God. They're like, I can't believe something bad happened to me. I thought I gave my life to Jesus and it was all perfect and nothing bad and it didn't go exactly like I thought, and I'm angry at him, and, and I just wanna let you know that you've gotta settle it that God didn't say you're not going to be in the storms, but he said he's going to take you through the storms. Okay? You just got to settle that. And I might be speaking to a young Christian that was like, I started out, it was so good. Everybody clapped when I got saved. And, and I told a few people that I love Jesus, and they did. And then I, my friends turned against me, and then this, and then this happened at my job. And, then, and, and they're like, I, I, it's not what I thought. There will be suffering, whether it's persecution, there will be suffering... In, in this world, but this isn't the end. And Tim Keller uh, wrote a, a great book about suffering. It was called Walking with God Through Pain and Suffering. And Tim Keller was a pastor and an author who battled cancer and died recently after living an incredible life for God and grateful for the resources that he had. But I just wanna speak just about suffering in general, not exactly the persecution stuff. He says this, there's no way to get through life if you don't know how to get through suffering. There's no way to get through suffering unless you have a living hope. And we do. And we do. We have a living hope. And he goes on to say in his book, no matter what precautions we take, no matter how well we have put together a good life, no matter how hard we have worked to be healthy, wealthy, comfortable with friends and family, and successful with our career, something will inevitably ruin it. He said, in the secular view, suffering is never seen as meaningful part of life, but only as an interruption. And he says, Christianity teaches that contra-fatalism, suffering is not overwhelming, contra-Buddhism, suffering is real, contra-karma, suffering is often unfair, but contra-secularism, uh, suffering is meaningful. There's a purpose to it, and if faced rightly, it can drive us like a nail deep into the love of God and into the more stability and spiritual power than you can imagine. Suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. And I just I, I love the imagery that he said that the suffering that we go through like drives us like a nail deep into God. And when I read that quote, when I was studying for this, I was r- reminded of, of the one attempt that um, I did at, at Sheetrock. I was trying to finish our first home and finish the basement and try to make a little sweat equity, and I had this guy help me with uh, hanging the sheetrock, and this is old school like. He wasn't using the sheetrock, you know, uh, screws. It was the nails. Okay, it was old school. And I was helping him out. And, you know, he's doing his part and I'm doing my part. And he comes over and he goes, yeah, that's not not good enough. He goes, it's got to be driven deep in there. You need like one last pop. Like you want the like I need it to be popped in. I need it to be driven deep and and then it'll hold. And he's like, your sheetrock is falling off the wall. Mine's holding. No, come on. One last pop. And, and you know, so I, it was my only attempt, all right? You know. I was not good at construction. I was so bad at construction. My dad used to, like, say to me, like, son, you don't have to help today. Go read a book. You know, go. All right. Go read a book. But he was like, it's got to be driven deep or it's fallen down. And sometimes the suffering that we go through, and really when we go through this suffering in life, it drives us deep and you're holding on to God with a greater grip. And, and, and if it was all pleasant in your life, you wouldn't be pounded in deep. And, and some of you need to grab that imagery of you're, you're driving deep in that suffering and you're grabbing hold of God. Mother Teresa said like, when you're going through the suffering, you're, you get the kisses of God. You're so close to God that he's able to kiss you. And so when you're in your suffering, grab hold of God and let it drive you deep into him. And instead of pushing him away and getting bitter at the things you're going through, draw close to him, let him be more real to you. Let it, your faith be driven deep into him and, and, and grab hold of this. He's with us, he's for us. And this hope that we have in Jesus is real. It's not a hope. We. Peter talks about like we have a hope in Jesus and the hope that we have in Jesus determines how we handle our now. But I wanna be very clear uh, the type of hope that we have because if you were to go to the dictionary, go to dictionary.com and look for a definition of hope. Like we have hope in God, we're gonna make it, we're gonna get through the suffering. If you read dictionary.com, it's not the right way to see hope in God. Dictionary.com says this about hope an optimistic state of mind that is based on an expectation of positive outcomes with respect to events and circumstances in one's life or the world at large, okay? So it's like, it's an optimistic, like I'm optimistic, I have hope, I'm, I'm, I choose to believe that the glass is half full. I, I, that's, that's the world's definition of hope. And when Peter's talking about us having a living hope and we have hope in God and we're gonna put our hope in God, it's not like he might come through. He, we have hope, we, we hope he's good. It's, there's no doubt, there's no doubt. We have our hope in God and we're never, ever, ever gonna express any doubt. Our hope in God says he said it, we believe it, he's good to his word, and he's getting us through what we're facing. That's good. Biblical hope is not being optimistic, it's God said it, he'll do it, we're getting through this. And with this hope that we have when we're in any struggle or trial or anything that we're going through, again, remember I've left the persecution and I'm just talking about general suffering, we can live for gra- with gratitude for what he's done. We can live in strength in the current thing that we're facing, and we can always have a certainty that the best is yet to come. Whether it's on this earth or in eternity, the best is yet to come, and God is getting us through this. All right, now let me go back to verse six in, in this trial because it's very real. These people are having to stand up for their faith in a hostile environment where people don't like Christians, and it's about to get really bad. He said, in all this, you rejoice. And um, he's not saying like, walk around going, yeah, I love being hated, yippee. You know, he's not saying that. He's saying, um, you're looking at this saying there's a bigger plan. I'm gonna rejoice in this because I don't understand this suffering, but I'm rejoicing because I'm getting closer to you. The nail's getting driven deeper. I'm, I'm getting close to you and there's a plan and there's a purpose. And you're doing something bigger. And so I'm rejoicing that you're gonna do something bigger in my life, God. And you're gonna help me to understand. Now, in the suffering, we don't understand it. Like, God, I don't know why I lost that job. God, I don't know why I lost that friend. God, I don't know why this happened in our neighborhood. God, I don't know why. And it reminds me of old school. Um when I was growing up, there was the movie Karate Kid, how many I remember the original with Ralph Macho. You're old, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it was like he's like. Wax on, wax on, paint the fence, side to side. And he's like, I'm not even learning karate. And then he's like, wax on, you know, and it's like, oh. (laughs) We're rejoicing because there's a plan at work. And God's like, I'm I'm forming you into my image. I'm making you stronger. And there's a lot of things And in verse seven, he gives us this. He says, it proves the genuineness of your faith. Do you really believe it? It proves it. It proves the strength of your faith. Every time you have trial or persecution or things are coming against you, it proves the strength of your faith. I think about when I was in Tanzania and I shared the story about the couple that was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. They're in a very hostile area, they're standing up for Jesus and they're in a, a very hostile Muslim area and they were beaten and left for dead, and they climbed out of the ditch. If you remember this story, they climbed out of the ditch, survived, and lived. They came back to their community to still reach those people. And if you don't know, through Kingdom Builders, we actually helped finish their church and finish their school. I mean, as soon as I heard the story, I said, what do you need? I think they needed $7,000. We immediately finished all the project for them. And he said, when we came back, After the trial, no one thought after persecuting us like that, that we would ever go back and no one would blame them if they said, God, is there a nicer city? Like, is there a a nicer, is there anything equivalent to like a Dallas level of godliness, you know, Bible Belt in Tanzania, like that's where we wanna go. But instead they said, we're going back to the place that beat us and left us for dead. And they said, the people looked at him like, you know what? There's a genuineness to their faith, there's a strength. You know what happened? One by one, people started saying, this is real, this is real, this is real. They got through the persecution, this is real, and the church started to fill up, and the school started to fill up, and they started to grow and to reach their neighbors and to change things, because that trial shows that it's real. And you may not see your friends uh, say, it's real now, but I'll tell you what, years later, I've had people come to me and say, I saw your faith. I saw your, I saw what you stood up for. I saw how you didn't go along with the crowd. And and I'm a believer today. I, I, I have faith in Christ because you stood up. People have faith in Christ in Tanzania because that couple said, this trial, this struggle, this persecution, I'm not backing down. And that's the type of attitude that Peter is telling them to have and God is telling us to have. It says here that it refines our faith. And, and Peter talks about gold being refined and, and it, it burns out the things that are impure. And it says it makes it stronger. It makes it more valuable. And it causes us to value Christ, to bring glory to him when we go through anything of the suffering, trial, persecution. And um, I don't know what's ahead. Um, I've been reading... Um, Different books. I read a book, Live Not by Lies, and it basically studied um, people that survived communism. And it talked about, like, how did they survive it and and how did they keep their faith and how did they get mocked and how did they stay growing for Jesus and doing this and overcoming the trial. So I've been reading that because this author is talking about, like, hey, this could be coming to America. And it was interesting, they, they, the two things that I took away that strengthened them were um, family. They stayed strong in their family for God. And the other thing that was amazing, they were involved in small groups. Even though they couldn't get together in a large gathering, there's something about getting together with other believers that saying, like, I'm not crazy, Am I? I'm not crazy. Like, I'm gonna endure, like, you're not, like, this is really bad, right? And we're gonna endure this and we're gonna get through this. And I, I'm saying to us today, I don't know what's ahead of us, But I know right now we're kind of living what Peter was talking about, where people are saying, you're not in the group, you're out, we're canceling you, we're not doing this for you. And I'm saying, let's stand strong. Let's not back down. Let's say, God, whatever it takes, let's keep serving you and let's be bold. Let's live this out in a way that shows the world it's really real. It's really real. It It was easy to be Christian when we had like favored status, but if we start losing favored status, and I want us to be politically involved and try to not lose it, but let's stay faithful no matter what. And Ray Pritchard writes this poem, and it's kind of a prayer and a poem, and I want to kind of wrap up with this. He says, Whatever it takes, Lord, do your work in me. Whatever it takes to purify my heart, do your work in me. Whatever it takes to build my faith, do your work in me. Whatever it takes to make me like Jesus, do your work in me. If that means doing some furnace time, do your work in me. If that means fiery trials today and more tomorrow, do your work in me. Lord, I want my life to be approved by you, so do your work in me. I'm saying whatever you're facing, whatever we're going through, whatever's up ahead, I pray as your pastor, I pray that we would say, God, Do your work in me. I want to stand strong. This is my faith. It's real. Refine me. Test me. Prove me. It's real. He's with you. There's a purpose to the trials. We're going to look more like Jesus. We're going to glorify him. We're going to know him in a greater way. I think about the believers that I've seen that have endured way stronger trials and struggles than we go through. And they have a depth of walking with Jesus that I'm in awe of. And I say as we Look at what Peter's encouraging those believers to. May it encourage us, stay strong, stay strong. Teenagers, stay strong. If you're in your neighborhood, stay strong. If you're at work, stay strong. And I know there's a lot of people that are struggling. I've talked to people that work at different hospitals and their hospital's coming against their faith. I've talked to people that are trying to figure out how to live in corporate America. And I'm saying, stay strong. Stay strong. Let Let it be proved in you that your faith is genuine and real and stay strong. And so God, I pray for anyone right now that's facing trials, tests, struggles, persecution. It feels like it's the first Peter stuff. And I'm so grateful that we have that insight of knowing when the book was written, that he wasn't actually talking about the Nero stuff yet. He was just talking about the neighbor stuff. And so God, I pray for anyone that's facing uh, trial, struggle, pushback, rejection at work, school, neighborhood, wherever it is, maybe even by their own family, that they would stay strong, that they would uh, let the trial and the struggle and any pushback, let them have a stronger faith in you, Lord Jesus. Let it be real, let it be strong, let them be encouraged. Let them stay plugged into the body of Christ like the people that survived uh, with their faith in communism. that They stayed close to family and close to the believers in small groups. Let them stay close in Jesus' name. But God, strengthen anyone facing these things in Jesus' name. And as we go forward, I know you'll give us the strength. I know you'll help us to see the, the purpose in it. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that your church would look more like you.